God is so good, isn't he? I hope you had a good uh, Thanksgiving uh, with your family and friends and whatever. And uh, I just want to share a word with you. This is the last of Romans 12. We finished another chapter in Romans by faith. How do you like that? I was part of a guy's Bible study one time. We worked through the whole book of Genesis. I think it took us two years. So, And I'll never forget that. We also did Romans, John, a lot of other books. And that Bible study, I think, is now in its 24th year. They are still meeting over where my uh, dad lives at the Gables, believe it or not. So, Father, we just ask that you would open our hearts today. This study in Romans has been so rich, and I feel today, Lord, that the words that uh, we are going to read are so important for us to hear right now in this season. You have a way of putting things in the right place at the right time. So speak to us, change us, Lord, convict us, equip us, Lord, uh, do all the work in us that you want to do. We know your word is powerful, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to talk about loving people that oppose you. How many of you have ever had somebody oppose you? Loving people that oppose you. Anybody here ever have somebody that opposed you? Romans 12, starting in verse 14, says, Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. You could probably go home right now and you could think about that all day. That's a lot to think about. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. And don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. See, you can quote that to people, by the way. Romans, I got a word for you. Romans twelve sixteen. Don't think you know it all. I don't think it was said in that spirit, though. Verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable and do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. And don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Powerful words, aren't they? Let's talk about how we realistically live these out in our life. It's easy to love people that love us back, isn't it? And we tend to want to hang out with people that love us. We tend to want to be with people who don't oppose us. We want to be with people that agree with us. But guess what? The church is not an affinity club. It's not like a bowling club. While you're here because you agree with everybody, you're here because Jesus somehow got a hold of your life and he's put you together in this family with people that may be different from you at times. There are lots of different people in this church. You think, well, we all look pretty much the same, but I've got to tell you, there are some different beliefs, different backgrounds, different histories, and sometimes we rub each other the wrong way and that creates sparks. Jesus even says something about that in the scriptures as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We create sparks when iron rubs against one another, doesn't it? And that's the church. When you get out into the world, you're really going to find people that oppose you. There are some people that don't like you just because Jesus lives in your heart. Because you belong to God, you walk into the room and you bring the light of Christ. Jim and I were talking about that, Jim Thomas, this week, about sometimes you walk into the room and the light of God is there and darkness doesn't like the light being there. Scripture's pretty clear saying that. 
So he tells us to love people that don't love us. And the Apostle Paul gives us a series of commands here that sometimes aren't very easy to hear. But there's a reason why he wants us to do that. In fact, he says, love those who persecute us. You will never be more like Jesus when you love somebody that has hurt you, somebody that has offended you, somebody that won't say they're sorry to you. At one time, we need to be really aware of this, all of us were enemies of God. Did you ever think about yourself that way? Put it on your job, on your resume. From this date to this date, I was an enemy of God. We were all enemies of God. Even Jesus' disciples, when he picked them out, they were enemies. They weren't in agreement with him, were they? At what point did they come to believe? He even had them working with him before they came to believe. Think about that. But all of us have been enemies of God. We've been opposed to God, and yet he loved us. And this is what we need to learn and we need to understand. That's why we are like God. When we love people that oppose us, we are being like God when he loved us, when we were his enemies. Romans 5, 6 says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. It's interesting. I heard in some of your stories today how Christ came at just the right time. The timing of God is exquisite. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us when we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. We have the kind of God that loves his enemies. It's because of who he is. God is love. He wants us to be like him. This is really counterintuitive. It's one of the hardest things you will ever do in your life is to love people that don't love you back. As a matter of fact, we talk about, I hear people all around me saying, I want to see more miracles in the church. How many of you want to see more miracles? I'll tell you one of the greatest miracles is when I see somebody break through and love their enemy by the power of the Spirit. That's miraculous. When you can get forgive an offense when that person isn't worthy of being forgiven. And by the way, were we worthy of being forgiven by God? No. See, this is the root that we need to understand of this whole teaching. It's all about God's love for us and how he loved us when we looked our worst, when we were the most opposed to him. So let's look at four things today in loving those who oppose us. Number one, we need to bless those who persecute us. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. This is one of the hardest things to learn as new believers. It goes against our intuition. Why does Jesus want us to forgive and bless our persecutors? When we strike back at those who persecute or oppose us, we are operating in Satan's kingdom. The minute that you go into bitterness, unforgiveness, or revenge, you are no longer operating under the power and authority of the kingdom of God. You mean to tell me I can move from one kingdom to another? Yeah, you still belong to God, but sometimes we work in the wrong kingdom, don't we? I confess to you, years ago I had a problem with road rage. I never went off and hunted people down or attacked anybody. I need to say that since this is on tape. 
But this anger would rise up in me, and I, you know, I would start, and I, you know, all of a sudden the Lord began to change me. He began to speak to me and say, "Did you ever think that person might be on the way to see somebody in the hospital that's dying? Did you ever think that person's life may be falling apart? Did you ever think they're so insecure and they don't understand who they are in Christ, and you need to pray for them instead of getting angry with them?" And all of a sudden, God shifted me from the enemy's kingdom back to His kingdom because I started seeing with His eyes and feeling with His heart. And this is what the Lord wants us to do. The minute that you get bitter and angry and you hang on to that, you lose the opportunity to become a change agent by the power of the Spirit in that moment. And I, and I love what you said, Donna, just quoting Steve Fry's message about bringing the authority of God into that situation. When we act like Christ, when we pray for those that persecute us, when we look like Jesus in that moment, we bring all the authority of Christ to bear in that moment, and the power of God is released in that situation. If we're angry and unforgiving, God can't use us. He can't work in us. He can't do what He wants to do in us, and we don't see the victory that God wants us to have. Vengeance never ends an issue, does it? It kind of perpetuates it. So an eye for an eye, and pretty soon the whole world is blind, as one person said. Our forgiveness does not mean that the abuser is off the hook. As a matter of fact, God's justice will be meted out, and we need to leave things in the hands of God. I used to get angry at people that hurt me and say, God, I know you're going to get them, and you're going to do a really good job. And the Lord said, you know, you may want to pray for mercy and forgiveness here, because the Lord says that the things that we ask for in our lives, the things that we do to others, that comes back to us, doesn't it? Now, I don't know about you, but as a sinner, I deserved hell and punishment for eternity. There are some people that have hurt me pretty deeply in my life, but there's not one of them that is any different from me in the respect that we're all guilty before the Lord. You know what the problem is with churches? They're full of sinners. They're full of broken people that have been redeemed by God that are in process. By the way, if you have not been offended by the people in church yet, we can arrange that for you. I've said that before. Let's do another sign-up sheet. And if you want to go to heaven, we have a sign-up sheet on the table for that, too. I think we've got 40 sign-up sheets out there. But you're going to offend somebody. People say, you know, well, I went to a church and I got hurt. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, being part of a family is a full contact sport. Being part of a church is a full contact sport. You will get hurt. Why? Because we're human beings and we're broken. Even if the Apostle Paul, who I think was one of the greatest Christians of all time, says the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I do want to do, I don't. Sometimes I, I look at myself and I go, did you just say that? To that person, did you just do that? Why did you do that? And I think I'm a pretty good guy. Come on, you're supposed to say amen at this point. That's good. If I have to cue you, I'm in trouble, right? Our forgiveness doesn't mean that the abuser is off the hook. What it does mean when we forgive is that our heart is no longer bound to that person with a cord of anger, unforgiveness, and we are free to be who God has created us to be. Not just to forgive them, but bless them. And can I tell you something? With the people that have hurt me in my life, it's always hard to pray for them at first. And I'm thinking, Scripture says, okay, pray for those that despitefully use you. That's the way the King James puts it. That's pretty hard, hard stuff to do. 
But when I start praying, and I'm thinking of one person that really hurt me deeply, and I started praying for them, the more I prayed for them, the more, and, and I'll tell you, this, this, a spirit of intercession came on me. And God began to, and, and when I finally had a breakthrough and the Lord said, I've heard your prayers and I'm going to save this person. I was blown away. But guess what? Somewhere in the process of praying for that person, all the anger was gone from my heart. I was on God's team, and I saw them not as an evil person that was irredeemable, but somebody that God loved that wanted in his family, and that I was going to be the agent to bring them in. As long as we do what the devil wants us to do, the world is a chain reaction of pain and abuse. When we forgive and we bless people, it stops that chain reaction and releases the power and authority of Christ and the love of Christ in that situation. And this is what the Lord wants us to do. How many of you read the story, came out last year in some of the papers, uh, New York uh, City police officer Stephen McDonald. Did you ever hear that story? Let me just share this with you. He passed away last year, and there were a number of very important people at his funeral because his life took an amazing turn, and he was able to influence a lot of people. But on July 12, 1986, Stephen McDonald, who was 29 years old at the time, was an officer on patrol in Central Park. He stopped to question three teenagers about a bicycle theft, and the oldest, a 15-year-old, took out a gun and shot him in the head, the neck, and the arm. McDonald was rushed to a hospital where surgeons told his wife that he would be paralyzed from the neck down for the rest of his life, and McDonald spent the next 18 months in a hospital. A few years later, McDonald made the headlines again, this time because he publicly forgave his shooter. Before his death in January 2017, McDonald explained why he forgave his shooter. He said this, quote, Looking back, pondering on my life since that time, it's clear to me that God was in charge. Wait a minute. Now, this guy had a choice. I'm going to stop here before I finish what he said. This guy had a choice to either be bitter, collect the money, and move on. But he didn't. He's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens is amazing. He said, I realized it became clear to me that God was in charge and all he wanted was the opportunity to use me. He just needed my yes and that was made possible by prayer. It's that simple, really. Through the family and friends that God put in my life and their prayers, God spoke to me and said, will you love this boy who shot you? And the best way that I could love him was to forgive him. Left to my own abilities, I don't think I would have done it. And I know that I would have died a long time ago had I not listened to God and said yes to God and followed the example of his son and loved and forgave him. Stephen's son, Connor McDonald, who's now an NYPD sergeant, recounted how his father would call him every day at 5 a.m. while he patrolled just to wish him good morning, and how during his college years his father would make a weekly trip to Boston just to have lunch together at Applebee's. My father was always committed to me, Connor said. He did more than most able-bodied fathers could ever do with their sons. This man went on to speak to Arab factions in the Middle East. He went with the Pope to... Ireland and spoke to factions in Ireland. Now, I want to tell you something. He could have just stopped and said, I'm bitter. Life has dealt me a bad hand here. 
and I can't do anything about it. But instead, he allowed the power of God to work in him, and the Lord gave him a voice to speak things that he never would have had an opportunity to speak. I don't understand this, and I don't understand why things happen. And if you tell me that this is real easy to understand, then you explain it to me because I don't. All I know is that when we give everything to the Lord and we say, Lord, I want to do it your way, even though it hurts. I believe Pastor Jeff referenced it a moment ago in our worship when Paul said we need to fill up in ourselves the sufferings of Christ. That doesn't mean that we earn our salvation, but what it's saying is we are continuing to help bring redemption to the world by our obedience to Christ and by allowing the pain that comes into our lives and the difficult situations to conform us to the image of Christ rather than being complainers that don't allow God to do his will in us. Does that make sense? There is a gospel out there of, of, that says that everything should go okay. And that if we just confess everything and pray the right way, that everything's going to be okay and we're never going to have any pain in our lives. That's not the gospel of the Bible. That's not the gospel of the New Testament. I don't want to, if we had a sign-up sheet, how many of you want more pain so you could grow quicker in Christ? I don't think many would, and I wouldn't sign up on that either. But I do know when things come my way that God is there with me and he wants to bring me through it and bring me deeper in him and that he can make us overcomers and do amazing things in us. Do you believe that? That's the message that Paul is speaking to us here in Romans. He's saying, let's do this God's way and let's put this aside. The second thing, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. We need to discern where others are in our life and we need to be sensitive and empathetic to where they are and not always be wrapped up in our own selves. I forget who said it. I don't want to, you know, everybody always credits things to Mark Twain. I'm not sure he said it, but the smallest package is a person all wrapped up in themselves. When we, what Paul is talking about, the second principle is in, in the circles of people that we walk with, it's learning to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. Part of living in harmony is considering the needs of those that we walk with and being sensitive to them. This means weeping with those who may be mourning someone or something or loss in their life. It speaks of a sensitivity and identifying the needs with others. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, If one part of the body suffers and one part is honored, all, all parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all parts are glad. Let me just break it down real simply. The metaphor of the church is the body. There's a healthy interdependence where we all need one another, where we all need to encourage. And we are connected to one another and we need to encourage one another. This speaks of maturity, it speaks of selflessness, and also a lack of envy or jealousy. To rejoice when someone else's kids come to Christ and ours are still battling. Okay? Let's move on to number three. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. This is as quotable as, uh, what is it, 1 Thessalonians? Make it your ambition to leave a quiet life and mind your own business. That's what the NIV says. We've got some quotable stuff here. I spoke to a friend recently from another city. 
And he said his daughter has been going to youth group for a year in this church and that not one person has reached out to her in the entire time that she has been there. And I said to myself, Lord, I I pray that this never happens in our church. It could. I mean, sometimes we can be very, we can be very cliquish. And that's, that's what I think Paul is talking about here. We have a tendency to look for people that get along with us. We hang out with them. We sit by them. When we get out of our seats here, we go to the cafe and we'll move to a group around the table with people that are comfortable. And what the Lord is saying is we need to reach out beyond our comfort zone. Across generational lines. We recently were in a meeting in Messenger, and it was an amazing revelation. So Pastor Jeff and Bree were there, and I was there, and the uh, more mature leaders were meeting in one room, and then we got together with the emerging leaders. And the younger leaders said, you know, we would love to hear from you guys. We'd love to get a call from some of the seasoned pastors that are out there. And uh, sometimes we feel like, you know, you guys don't think we want to be with you. And the older guys said, man, we would love to spend time with you, but we're always under the impression that younger people don't want to be with us. Two lies, working against one another, keeping people apart. We need to reach beyond our comfort zone, even to people that may not be like us or think like us. Clicks are not, well, they shouldn't even be in middle school, but they shouldn't definitely be in the church. It doesn't please God. It's antithetical to the spirit of Christ who hung out with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus was accused of a lot of bad things. Did you know that? I don't know. Francis Frangipani said uh, when he was uh, at our conference last week, he said, uh, there are a number of websites that are dedicated specifically against me, putting all kind of stuff up against me. And I don't know if any of you have a website against you. Uh, I do know that people have said stuff about us over the years in various ways in various places. And uh, that's a sad thing. But uh, the whole point is, if you're going to stand for the Lord, people are going to accuse you of things. So how would you like to be accused of being a friend of sinners and tax collectors? If you're, if you're working for the IRS, do not raise your hand right now, but we want you to know that we love you. We're not a club. We're the church of the living God. And we are supposed to reach out to people around us no matter what they are. And sometimes that means going beyond our comfort zone. I love what Jana said last week about hospitality. Hospitality means that we are willing to reach out and make everybody that walks through these doors comfortable and welcome. Yeah, they may not be comfortable if the word gets to them, but it's okay. So Jesus said, go out of your way to those who cannot give you a social advantage. Luke 14, starting in verse 12, it says, Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. How many of you disobeyed during Thanksgiving? No, it's okay to invite your family, obviously. But Jesus is making a point using hyperbole here, and he's saying we tend to be with the people that we want to be with. We need to reach out. He says, if you do, they may invite you back, and you'll be repaid. He said, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Think about that. Think about that. And then finally, verse 17 says, Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. 
do all you can to live at peace with everyone. Now, sometimes we do everything we can and they still won't be peaceful, right? What do you do if you're in a victim of an offense? The first question you need to ask is, is your offense real or is it imagined? Now, listen to what I'm saying here. Because the Bible talks about taking up offense. We can take up offense when something is not a real offense, and we can be offended and find our identity in being offended when there's not a real offense there. It was like the young lady, and some of you have heard this story before, but I can't think of a better example, that came up to me years ago, and she said, she said, I need to talk to you. She said, you've offended me. And I said, I'm so sorry. I said, what did I do? She said, well, it's nothing really you've done. I just don't like you. That's not a real offense. Now I was offended. <laughs> what do you do with that? Well, I knew, you know, there. So this, is a, this was a young lady that was in the college group that I was working with, nobody that you know. And I, was ta- and, and I felt the Lord say, listen to her, because I want to reveal something here. And I said, why do you think you don't like me? She said, you remind me of my dad. Bingo. There's the real offense. And there's the healing that needs to take place. Often behind, false offenses are real offenses. Okay, But when you go around and your heart is bleeding and there are painful spots of brokenness in your life, and we have whole groups of people in our culture that are so hurt and they don't know what to do with it and they don't know exactly who hurt them. As messenger of Christ, the worst thing we can do is react to them. We need to love them. But it doesn't mean we need to put up with abuse from them either. Does that make sense? An offense is more than just a dislike of somebody. It's a real injustice. And I say that because we live in an age where being offended seems to be, uh, it's almost like a viral thing that's happening. Many people are finding their identity in victimization. And you know what? If you decide that that's your identity, that you're going to be a victim, you can't grow in Christ. You can't grow because there's unforgiveness there. So what do you do if you're a victim of an offense? If the person is a believer, an unbeliever, that makes a difference. This can make a difference in how you respond to them. Is the offense a matter of legal justice? If somebody broke the law, go to the law and report it. I know this is just real practical, but it's true. People say, come to me, and they say, what should I do? Somebody stole my lawnmower. I'm really offended. Well, you need to call the police, probably, to start with. Is the offense a matter of legal justice? Sexual harassment, rape, assault, theft. If these things happen, report it to the proper authorities. I've had Christians say, am I obligated to work things out with a guy that abused me? And the answer is, if they broke the law, no. You need to forgive them, but it doesn't mean you let them back in your life and continue to abuse you. And I, and I have to share the whole counsel here because we need to be careful about what we're saying. You don't have to make yourself vulnerable to an offender when they are violent, abusive, or have broken the law. The law is a gift by God that is given to protect people. Remember when we hit that chapter? What was that, Romans 10? A couple chapters ago? Use it when appropriate. In a case where you can't avoid the law and work something out with your neighbor, do it. I remember we first bought our house in Missouri, and over the years we've had a number of boundary disputes with neighbors. I don't know why. But uh, very interesting. Uh, he, I walked out, I shook hands with him, and I said, we're so glad to be here. He says, welcome to the neighborhood. He said, we disagree on where the property line is. And I thought, I haven't even talked to him yet. He doesn't know where I think the property I don't even know where the property line is. Again, the Holy Spirit said, don't react here. And I said, well, Earl, um, what, what's, has there been a problem? Tell me what's going on. He said, would you let me mow all this over here? I said, sure, no problem. <laughs> 
from that point on, I don't care where the property line are. As long as he's mowing my lawn, I, we're all okay with that. And he ended up becoming a great neighbor. He, wa- he was a retired guy that wanted a job. And he, wanted to mow- he had always mowed that, and the last neighbor fought over him. You mowed two strips over too far. And they got into this big battle. And I said, Earl, you can mow the whole thing if you want. He says, no, just that part over there is okay. You know, and we got along great. And later he says, hey, if your kids want to come and, you know, sled over into my yard and whatever, that would be fun. And, you know, we forgot all about the property line dispute. Sometimes the issue is not the issue. So you don't always have to go to law. I didn't have to hire a lawyer and say, will you sue Earl for me? I don't want his lawnmower on my property. Wouldn't you love a neighbor that wanted to mow your lawn? When a brother or sister offends you, Matthew 18, many of you are familiar with this. It's very clear. It's so clear. It says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. What does it say there? Go privately. Why does it say that? Let me tell you why it says that. Because once you make it a public event and you start sharing it with everybody, you have created a problem where there are multiple offenses, and it's not just you that need the grace to forgive that person, but now you have brought other people into the situation, and they need to forgive that person as well. It makes it very complex, and we deceive ourselves and say, well, I need to process it with a few people before I go talk to them. You're you're not walking in the word when you do that. The minute you step out of disobedience and you don't do it privately, what, what kingdom are you in again? It's not the kingdom of light, it's the kingdom of darkness. Why? Because you're working against the unity of God in that situation. We need to give God an opportunity to work it out. When you uh, and, and he goes on to say, he says, if another person listens and conf- confesses it, you've won that person back. What's the goal of going to meet with that person, by the way? To win the argument or win the person back? To restore relationship. What's the goal of Matthew 18? To win the argument. No, it's not. It's to restore relationship. And I've gone into meetings with people that needed to sit down and, and they are, you know, unless he tells me that he was wrong, I'll tell you, I'm going to, ha- you know, and I said, you got the wrong spirit already. Unless you go in with humility to win that relationship back, you're going with the wrong heart. It says, if you're unsuccessful, take one or two more with you and go back again. Don't take angry people that agree with you. Take people that you both respect. If you need somebody to help, ask for leaders in the church and we'll appoint some people to help you work that out. Have we done that here at River of Life? Yes, we have. We've carried this out, all, all three steps. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. We've had situations where people have done things that are wrong and they refuse to repent. We've asked them to leave the church. You say, whoa, that's pretty radical. And that goes on here. It says this. It says in verse 18, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you here agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it. For where two or three gather as my followers, I am there among them. People talk about this as having authority and praying about anything you agree for in prayer. It's not. It's agreeing of the leaders in a church discipline situation. That's the context here. Sorry. This is, this is one of the places where people have taken things out of context. Now, is it true that when people agree, there's power and authority? Yeah. But when there's broken relationship, there's no authority. And, and there's leadership that God has given to the church to restore relationship. So when a brother or sister offends you, you've got a decision to make. 
Can you forgive it and overlook it? Proverbs 19.11 says, Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. I love the New Living Translation there. Sometimes it's something that happened and we say, you know what, that person said something and they were just having a bad day. Maybe they had a family member that died or maybe, and I can just forgive them, I'm going to let it go. That's not characteristic of them. And we forgive it and we release them and we bless them and we pray for them. That's okay. But if you can't overcome the offense, go privately to the one who offended you. Don't gossip. Don't go to the internet. Don't go to others for counsel. Most of the times when I've gotten together with people to bring restoration, it's a misunderstanding. And people got, I'll tell you, the enemy is really good at messing up communications. And you sit down with a person face to face and you realize that sometimes maybe you even did something you weren't aware of. It's an opportunity to grow. People say, well, when they finally figure out that they've offended me, I'll sit down with them. No, it says if somebody offends, whose responsibility is it? Because if you're offended and you don't deal with it in biblical terms, there will be a root of bitterness that we're going to read about in a moment that will spring up and it'll defile many. It'll poison your heart and it won't go away and it'll poison other people because sooner or later you'll let it out in the wrong way and people get offended. Once an offense is shared with someone who is not the offender offended, it becomes gossip. I've seen people have a battle and, and, and reconcile, but the persons that they shared with about the offense are still angry at the person that, because they don't know what happened and, and you guys working it out. So what happens is you poison the church and people avoid that. Oh, yeah, I know who that person is. I remember when so-and-so told me what they did to him. I know that I've got their number. And we begin judging them in our heart. And we put walls up in our heart. You are now in the enemy's camp. Even if you two reconcile, what about all those other people you shared with? What about the people that you put it out there on Facebook about? Hebrews 12, 15 says, Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And I want to say this to you. If, if you are, if a leader in this church has offended you, sometimes it's scary to go to leaders. People tell me I'm scary. I look in the mirror and I go, I just don't see it. <laughs> it's scary to be in a position of authority, Okay. What you need to do is you need to get somebody in the church that you trust. And, and don't tell them about it. Say, will you go with me to sit down with Pastor Joe? I just need to share something with you, and I need you to be with me. With a leader, I think that's okay. Can I tell you, that's a protocol in this church that I think it's okay. I don't want anybody to ever be afraid. I haven't killed anybody in <laughs> 60 years. <laughs> so you remember that story with my son-in-law. He says, did you ever kill anybody? He said, no, I never did. He says, why did you say it that way? (laughs) Okay. Out of the seven things that God hates in Proverbs 6, the last one is a person who sows discord in a family. Why is that? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in unity for all eternity. Even before God created humankind, even before he created us in his image, his very nature is unity, honor. Giving honor and blessing to the other. The father says, this is my son whom I love and speaks words of honor over his son. And he delights my heart. Jesus says, I don't do anything apart from the father. 
And Jesus says, listen, you can mess with anybody, but don't mess with the Holy Spirit. See, there's this honor and protection and covering one another. That's the culture he wants to be in his church. If we want to be like God, we need to live the way the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he tells us this in John 17. Father, let them be one. Let's be an answer to the prayer of Jesus and learn how to walk in unity. In Ephesians, it says, maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You can't make unity happen. But once the Spirit of God lives in you and the Spirit of God lives in me, when we work against the Holy Spirit, what are we doing? David Ekman says, out of all the members of the Godhead, it's the Holy Spirit who feels grief when we don't go along with the process of God's work in our life. He's grieved by that because we're trying to work against his very nature. So when you are walking around in your heart with anger, it can be anger toward your husband, toward your wife, toward your children, toward your boss. You are working against the nature of God. And that's where I want to close this morning. I felt all this week the Lord was saying there are people that need to let go of things. This is a word where the Holy Spirit is just moving in our hearts. He wants to recreate his power, his character, his authority in us. And he needs us us to say yes to him. He gives you the choice. You can be angry. You can be bitter. You can hold unforgiveness. That's your choice. But if you really want God to release his authority and power in you, this is a moment where we need to let go. Can we just bow our heads? Father, your word is so powerful. Lord, I've read other books that were supposedly written in different religions, Lord. It's nothing like the Bible. I read this word, Lord, and it goes right to my heart. And for some of us, Lord, these are hard words to hear because they go against the nature of our sinful man, our sinful woman. Lord, we just want to come to you today and ask for the light of your Holy Spirit to shine on us. Lord, I know that there are people in this room that are carrying wounds. Some of them go back many, many years to when you were in your single digits, when you were a little one. Some of them are things that you've forgiven in the past and you've just had a hard time. They keep coming back. The feelings keep coming back. And the Lord is is wanting you to just lay it down before him now and say, Lord, I give up my right to be offended. You see, here's the real issue. If you want to walk with Jesus, you give up all your rights. You are hidden in Christ. He's the one that takes over your rights and your protection at that point. When we're offended, it reveals areas of the flesh that haven't yet died. That's why God allows us to live in a broken world. He's still doing his work in us. And right now the Lord is revealing, I believe in hearts, there are areas where you have wounds and the Lord is saying, it's time to let this die. It's time to experience my resurrection power. I'm going to ask you to stand together and I'm going to ask you if you, if the Lord is speaking to you right now, I feel like this, the Lord is calling for a response this morning. I don't always do this, but get out of your seat and just come and stand up at the front. We're going to pray together in a moment. 
but would you just come and, and just lay it down? If you want to kneel down up here and say, Lord, I'm just laying it down before you. If there's stuff that is caught in my heart and I just want to lay it down before you. And what we're saying, Lord, is we are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live because the spirit of Christ lives in me. I'm laying down. I'm giving you the rights to this offense. And I'm surrendering this to you. Just tell the Lord in your heart right now. There are others. The Lord is calling. This is a moment. The Lord is here. Would you respond to him? Would you just come? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I want to ask for the prayer team to come and just gently lay a hand on some of these that are up at the front here. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Can I lead all of us in a prayer of confession? It's a, it's a prayer where we're going to identify with Christ and we're going to let go of offenses. And if you can do this, just speak out boldly. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much that you loved me even when I was your enemy. Lord, I know that I've hurt your heart. And yet you sent your son to die for me. Lord, I want to be like you. I want to release offenses right now. And I ask for your help. Lord, right now I release. And in your mind and heart, if you want to say it softly, you can just speak the people that you're releasing, the situations. Let's just do that. Father, we just release right now people that have hurt us, people that have sinned against us. There are some that will never say they're sorry. There are some that may someday. But Lord, we just lay it down at your feet right now and we say, God, we release them to your will. We don't even pray for their destruction, Lord. We pray instead that you would open their eyes, that they could come to know your forgiveness as we know your forgiveness, God that they could come into this family, Lord, because we're all broken and we desperately need you. Oh, Lord, just let your spirit work in us. Lord, help us to be people that love like you. It's supernatural. We can't do it on our own. Can we just ask the Lord to fill us? Fill us with your love, God. Fill us with your love, oh God. We need your help. We need your grace, oh God. We need your love. Lord, let these words that we've heard today live in our hearts. Let it be part of the way we live and walk and interact with people in our lives each day. And Lord, as we go forth from this place, let your spirit rest upon us, God. Continue the work of healing that you're doing deep in our hearts, God, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. God is so good, isn't he? Let's go in the blessing of the Lord.